Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guests are Ari Wald, Managing Director and Head of Technical Analysis, and Rick Schaefer, Managing Director and Head of Semiconductor Research at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on June 22, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called Semiconductors, the Market, and the AI Boom. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Rick Schaefer and Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Now, on the Let's Talk Future podcast series, we've had some great episodes on the AI gold rush, the electric vehicle revolution, and the cloud, all big drivers in today's economy and stock market, and all touch on the semiconductor sector. And semis sure have provided a wild ride in 2022 and 2023. So here, we're going to look at the themes underlying the semiconductor companies. We'll discuss whether generative AI, 5G, the Internet of Things, all truly make this cycle different this time. We'll look at stock performance and explore whether this performance and growth is sustainable. And we have the right two guys to do it. Rick Schaefer is the Managing Director and Senior Analyst leading Oppenheimer's Semiconductor Franchise. And Ari Wald is the Managing Director and Senior Analyst providing technical analysis for Oppenheimer. So Ari, I'm going to start with you and the big picture. You were on this podcast very early in the year with a bullish view of the market, which was a good call. And so where are you now? Our bullish recovery story has become more consensus than it was last October, but that doesn't mean the run is ending. And more important for us is that the evidence continues to incrementally improve which is the reason we still see more market upside over the coming months. Now, for starters, when we think about the textbook characteristics of a bear cycle when nothing's working, a market bottom that forms with pessimism at an extreme, and a subsequent upturn in the cycle that's climbed against widespread investor disbelief, it's tough to find a better example than what's developed over the prior 18 months. Now, more recently, even the headwinds are becoming tailwinds. For instance, the bearish rhetoric had been that the rally was being driven by only a narrow list of stocks. And we had argued that participation was actually improving from last year's broad-based selling. And fast forward to today, and we're now seeing meaningful strength develop in areas like small caps that had been limiting a broader recovery. Now, again, this indicates that market support is still increasing. Now, we don't expect the continuation of this advance to develop in a straight line, but it does give us conviction to recommend buying weakness down to S&P 4200 
in anticipation for upside into 4,600, which is a level we've been targeting since January. Now for our portfolio, growth should remain a core position based on signs that the NASDAQ steadily paced secular ascent is resuming. And we believe small and mid cap growth offers an attractive balance in terms of capturing more emerging opportunities. Now, remember, the NASDAQ is coming off its poorest two-year stretch in over a decade. Right. So, Ari, just sticking with you on that, you know, you talked about growth. And again, back when you were on the last episode early in the year, you highlighted the semiconductor stocks as an area of opportunity. Another good call. So I take it you're still pretty constructive on that group? We are. The Semiconductor Socks Index is up about 20% since the start of May. So the industry has been red hot. But if you look at the long-term charts, this is also a group positioned to break through 20-plus year resistance relative to the S&P 500. And we think lead equities higher over the coming quarters and possibly even the coming years. So as much as the industry has become near-term overbought, we still recommend committing long-term money to the group and the broadness of the strength adds to our conviction. It's not just one or two names driving the strength. It's one semiconductor stock after another, after another, across capitalizations that have reversed higher and such broadness tells a compelling story. Okay, well, Rick, let's take it over to you. So. This is a lot, but let's start with a big picture on the semis. You know, as I mentioned, generative AI, 5G, smart appliances. Is it really different this time? Yeah, Jane, it's a good question. And and maybe I'll cover just quickly uh, that Ari's point, I think he highlighted the broad-based nature. I mean, I think my group, the the SOX, just as a a gauge, is up 50% this year, approximately. And, you know, what we're seeing now, I think, and we just had a bus tour last week and saw a bunch of our, I think we saw almost half the Sox market cap uh, last week on our bus tour. And the, the general message is we're aging out of the current correction. And my group anticipates a fundamental inflection on average between six and 12 months. So we're not terribly surprised. We've been pretty bullish on our group all year. We kind of expected to see the group trade better. Um, and if you look through cycle, what leads in my group are the best structural growth stories. And those are the ones with the best management teams, the best margin profiles, meaning they're, they're clearly doing something different and being paid for, for the technology that they bring. And they're in the right verticals. So it doesn't do you a lot of good to be selling into to verticals like PC and handset that just do not grow, that are hyper competitive. You see a lot of price pressure. Just we could, we could certainly talk about that. You want to be in verticals, you know, a couple of the most attractive right now would be sort of cloud AI, as you highlight, but also automotive is always worth a mention because there's a long tail there and happy to happy to discuss that more if you're interested. Yeah, we, we, we should, because, you know, my limited knowledge of semiconductors, this is a very complex space. Semis are expensive to make. They're very cyclical, but I think the market is saying that things are different this time with the drivers that you just mentioned. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, and on that point, I should have mentioned there's there's a lot of investment in the space right now. And some of it's related to some of the geopolitical tensions that are out there. Um, you know, everybody is trying to sort of onshore their supply chains, onshore their semiconductor manufacturing. It, it's almost as if 
uh, everyone woke up uh, here in the last few quarters and, and realized that semiconductors are pretty critical to, to a lot of the things we're trying to do, whether it's autonomous vehicles, whether it's a, anything AI related or communications related or just about anything. You know, there, there is um, currently about $500 billion being invested in 84 uh, chip factories around the world, just adding capacity. So that's, that's sort of where we're at. And again, if you if you want, we can dig in on a couple of these these attractive opportunities, and one of them is AI for sure. You know, if you look today, the code in my space, uh, in my area, people call it accelerated compute. That's that's code for AI. You know, this is an area that's that's just still nascent. Uh, as much as you know, you see Nvidia, who's sort of at the epicenter of that of that storm, uh, really driving it, really foundational to everything that's being deployed in AI today. You know, they're a trillion dollar company. And, and if you look at the actual accelerator attach or, or AI attach inside of the cloud, you know, you're, you're just around 20% today. And eventually we believe we're going to be at 100%. And NVIDIA themselves say within four years, we'll probably be at, at 50%. So it kind of gives you an idea of the cadence of adoption, but it also shows you how early we are. What are you talking about there? Are you talking about 20% of the potential of AI or 20% of the making of the tools to get there? No, sorry. And good, good question, Jane. Thanks for the clarification. It, what I'm saying is only about 20% of cloud servers are accelerated with AI today. We believe that will move to 50% in the next four or five years and eventually be 100%. We see AI really you know, in the first innings of, of what it's going to be. We believe everything eventually out to the edge even to your iPhone, will be accelerated or, or have AI in it. And similarly, would that same thesis hold for autos and autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles? Are you still in the early stages of that as well? Yeah, another another really good question. And to give you a sense, I think they say average silicon content or chip content in, in vehicles around the world is, is hovering around $500 today, plus or minus. We think the potential is probably 10x that. If you look at uh, if you look at EVs, since you highlighted that, um, it's on average an EV has three times the chip content of an ICE vehicle. And so it gives you an idea when you start adding in autonomous vehicles, uh, which eventually we you know we're getting into level three and level four ADAS. Uh, level five is true autonomy or true autonomous driving. You're easily talking about five thousand dollars or more. Of of, of semiconductor content. So the historical argument against the semis is how cyclical they are. And sounds like these long innovative cycles are changing that, yes? Yeah, I think, look, I think we're always gonna have cycles and they average about every three years, plus or minus, you end up with a correction. And at the end of the day, cycles are defined by inventory. If you're a purchasing manager, um, you're always going to err on the side of carrying a little extra inventory versus the other option, which would be carrying a little less inventory and risk potential share loss. So at the end of the day, it's human nature that drives the cycles. And I, I just don't see human nature changing. I think you're going to always, you know, you, you lose market share, you lose your job. You, you build a little excess inventory, you know, your boss might yell at you, you know, worst case. Okay, so I have another question. You touched on it, but geopolitical risk, Taiwan, you know, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing. Let's spend a few minutes on that because it's certainly critical to your industry. Yeah, so it, it's it's 
Something I think that surprises people, especially, you know, maybe the lay person uh, who, who isn't immersed in tech or, or semiconductors, but over 80% of advanced semiconductors are made on, on the island of Taiwan uh, by a company called TSMC. And, you know, 25 million people or something for a population. And that's, these chips are pervasive. They're in every iPhone, every PC, every car. Every, I mean, they're just, they're in everything, um, every server. And right? so every cloud, I could, I could just go down the list. So that's for sure a trend. And that's something, again, that some of these investments, that 500 billion that I was, that I mentioned earlier, the idea is to try to, you know, we've spent the last couple of decades sort of building and, and coalescing a, a supply chain around Asia. And now we've decided that maybe we should be a little more balanced. And, and so what you're seeing is more onshoring and, and redomiciling of production. And, and it, it took a couple of decades to kind of get where we are today. So it's, it's going to be a long tail in terms of investment to, uh, to shift that, I think. And I guess it's one of those things that it is what it is in the short term. That's kind of inherent in the structure of your group. So there's not a whole lot to be done. You know, there's just not a fast fix. You know, it takes it takes about four years, plus or minus a year to get a, a factory, you know, break ground, build the factory, tool it, qualify it, everything. So, you know, this this is a, you know, it, it takes a little while. And, and this process really started probably three, four years ago, I guess now. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on to your companies that you think are extremely well positioned here. So good question. I mean, I, clearly the biggest purest play on the AI trend is is NVIDIA. That stock is, I think, tripled this year or close. You know, I had a rough year last year. It was down about 50%, but that was uh, really not related to their AI story at all. It was more related to sort of a little bit of the collapse of crypto. So that risk is sort of out of the model now. And the way we look at NVIDIA going forward is they just, they're foundational to AI. Um, you know, uh, despite a lot of, of the largest customers are, are the, the large hyperscalers, the cloud customers, you know, the Amazons, the Googles, the, the Microsofts. And these companies all have internal chip efforts underway. But at the end of the day, they remain the biggest customers uh, of, of NVIDIA. And what's driving that? Game is really models, and and we didn't talk much about it. And I I won't promise I won't go too deep in the weeds. But there's there's a couple of forms of AI. There's there's training and inference. And training is where you collect a lot of data and you teach a model. You know, a, a model learns from the data, uh, and that's like you mentioned, ChatGPT. And these models are continuing to grow exponentially. So if you look at ChatGPT 3.5, for instance had about 150 billion parameters inside it. You fast forward to chat GPT-4, which is out now, and you jump to roughly 1 trillion parameters. So to keep up with that, uh, you need a large, programmable, flexible uh, GPU uh, accelerator, which is what NVIDIA provides. And so it's no accident. They're basically 100% of the training market or very close. So that's one name we, we really like as a structural growth story. And I, I want to stay on NVIDIA for a second because I'm an old school kind of gal who looks at PEs and other measures of stock performance. And I mean, the valuation is pretty eye popping here on a trailing PE, but even on a forward, you're at a big number and you're at a trillion market cap or somewhere around there. So that doesn't give you the willies. 
No, I mean, a great example is, is how much our numbers changed. I think we almost doubled our EPS just on the last earnings call uh, from one one guide, guidance raise for 2Q. They raised by a, a little over $4 billion in one quarter. I think it's the largest single raise that I've, well, it's certainly the largest I've seen. I think it is the largest in dollars in the history of semis. And, you know, I think another way to look at it is it trades around 45 times 24 earnings, which is actually a discount to its growth rate. It's actually a, a modest discount to its three-year uh, average forward PE. Something like NVIDIA, it's just such a uh, an idiosyncratic story. You really should almost comp it to itself. There's really not a great comp out there uh, to put up to put up against it, to be honest with you, is, is probably the quick answer. So we think, we think there's a lot of room left on earnings to grow, I think, to make that PE look a lot more attractive. Okay. And Ari, I'm going to go to you for a little bit of a technical check on NVIDIA. When you look at that idiosyncratic chart, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, first, you know, we have jokingly say that the market isn't worried about valuations when it's actually the cheapest stocks that are hardest hit each time that the market does set back. And we're generally of the view that the idea of too far, too fast only exists in hindsight. And academic research would instead argue that price momentum is an anomaly that has made investors solid returns over the benchmark through various market cycles, uh, looking at over a century of data. So stocks that go from the lower left to the upper right are usually the ones with good fundamentals behind it. So with NVIDIA having already moved above its November 2021 peak, we see a stock showing bullish relative strength that has been endorsed by strong market players. And that's a good thing. So this is a great example of letting your winners run and adding to the position on pullbacks. Now, looking at the outperform rated names in Rick's coverage, there's several that also rate positively in our trend work. Uh, these are NVIDIA, Broadcom, Monolithic Power, NXP Semiconductor, Marvell Technology, Analog Devices, and Vico Instruments. And this is only a small pocket of an even broader list of semiconductor stocks pointed in the right direction. And I continue to bring up the broadness of the group because it allows for rotation. You know, when one stock pauses, another picks up the slack and it helps move the industry higher. So from Rick's coverage, I'd call out NXP Semiconductors, it's ticker NXPI, because it remains below its 2021 peak and offers what we see as rotation potential. Uh, the stock is testing resistance at 197, which has limited upside for over a year. A breakout would complete the bottom. And in the meantime, we think NXP becomes increasingly attractive towards 182 support. All right. Well, thank you, Rick. I want to go back to you with uh, some of your other names that uh, you've been talking about. Let's let's talk about Broadcom. Sure. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a good uh, name to bring up uh, because both Broadcom and Marvell are two of our our top picks this year, uh, along with NVIDIA and along with a company called Monolithic Power. Uh, so those really are our four top picks this year. Marvell and Broadcom are both uh, plays on connectivity. So as you scale up all this compute power from NVIDIA and you, you take these great leaps forward in performance on compute, you need on the, on the other side of the coin, this is two sides of the same coin, you need connectivity to keep pace with that. So the, you're building out these data centers with tens of thousands of servers 
and you don't get a lot of benefit if those servers are out operating in a vacuum or operating on a DSL line or something uh, in terms of communication speed. So um, Broadcom, again, and Marvell, both uh, major facilitators, the two leading facilitators of, of connectivity. And so very strong, both of them strong plays in AI. And uh, in our opinion, uh, you know, very good structural growth stories uh, with, with high margins. In fact, Broadcom has the, the highest margins, the highest gross margin, op margin, free cash margin in, in the group. Nice. And its valuation isn't quite as curious making as NVIDIA. Where does monolithic power fit in this? And monolithic power is sort of this hidden gem, although you can see it's multiple. It's not completely undiscovered, but it's the smallest. It's 25 billion or so market cap. They are the sole source power supplier for the NVIDIA accelerators. So they're sort of the unsung hero that is providing the power for these accelerators that make these make these processors, these GPU processor accelerators, makes them makes them tick. Okay. And just to kind of wrap things up with both of you actually, and Ari, I'll start with you. You know, you lay out a very constructive case still. You're a, a buyer on weakness. Is there anything here that our listeners should be attentive to that would disrupt that thesis? Really for us, uh, you know, our differentiated take, speaking about the market broadly, has been that internal breadth has been showing directional improvement, you know, following last year's decline. So what we're going to be watching for are any signs that, you know, that thesis is being derailed and starts going against us. And and that really actually starts with the Russell 2000 gauge of small cap stocks. If that starts to turn lower, you know, then we run the risk that breadth starts to expand again on the downside. So we were recently asked, you know, what you know would be our worry about technology in these semiconductor stocks? And the answer is actually small caps. If, you know, small caps break down, you know, the market's at risk and, and technology too. So it's very often, it's actually the, the weak parts of the market that are the warning rather than the strong leaders. Interesting. And, and Rick, how would you answer that question? Yeah, I mean, I think... My group has, again, we've run close to 50%, I think, this year. If we were to see them consolidate a little, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't change my structural bull thesis on any of my, my top picks. Um, and again, I believe, um, as I think most of my companies believe, that we're beginning to age out as we look into the second half, age out of the current correction and start moving into more of the sweet spot of, of the semi-cycle, which is where supply is, is chasing demand. Versus the you know versus vice versa. Uh, so, you know, I think the group is is probably just just getting its legs. Just getting its legs. Well, this was so much fun, guys. Thank you for sharing your ideas and expertise here today, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.